Hey, I'm Matt Ruby. And I'm Rob Kramer. Welcome to another episode of Hell and Wellness. Thanks to everyone who's been listening, giving us feedback. We got a bunch of great feedback on the recent episode on conspirituality, which you can check out if you didn't hear it. Uh, also, if you want to reach out to us, hellandwellness at gmail.com. And if you could leave a review at Apple Podcasts, that would be great. It, apparently, it helps a lot. So say something nice about us there. And, uh, you know, I've been pursuing this health and wellness thing for a long, long time. Sometimes I'm a bit lost. Sometimes I find myself. But, you know, we've, we've, we've covered a lot of interesting topics from juice fasting, something I used to do to uh, impossible burgers and Buddhist meditation, because when you're meditating, you should be eating an impossible burger, apparently. Anyway, what are we talking about this this time, Matt? We're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions and Tulum. And as usual, we'll be going through what's good, what's bad, what's healthy, what's bullshit. You know, we're trying to suss out what's what's pretensions and nonsense and what's actually like healthy for you. And at the end, we'll rate it all hell and well. So let's get into it. Let's do it. And quick note, we are not doctors. This is not medical advice. Don't take us that seriously and change your life and inject things or anything like that. We're here to entertain you, to give you our perspective on the world of wellness. So please, before you do anything serious, check with the doctor. So Matt, I don't know about you. I am not a big New Year's resolution guy. I am actually, in fact, a goals guy. I love setting goals, coming back to them every month or so. But I find the idea of like, you know, coming up with New Year's resolutions and making a list and abiding by that list as if January 1st actually means anything. I mean, I was born on June 2nd. That's the start of my new year. What what, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, well, even just to zoom out, I think New Year's is kind of amateur hour and a, a, a silly thing in a lot of ways. Uh you know, I, I, the people who get all excited for it and want to go out and usually it's just a nightmare the whole night. So why don't we start from that of like, you know, I, I think tying into what, why are we paying so much attention to this one day that doesn't really mean anything? Totally. The artificiality of it just seems to me to be particularly absurd. And we all collectively, maybe it's a social thing, like we get around the campfire and we all talk like, hey, what are your news res- resolutions? And did you make any? And but it just seems so sort of artificially timed. Well, also, I will say I'm Jewish. And I remember the first time I, I think it was the guy who like was my tutor for my bar mitzvah or whatever was like, oh, I don't celebrate New Year's. I was like, why? He's like, what? Uh, it's been 2020 years since what? And I was like, oh, yeah, we're, we're celebrating Jesus's birthday. I never really thought about that in a, a sense of a New Year's Eve uh, pop and champagne kind of way. Uh, so not that that means that you should or shouldn't celebrate it, but it is also noteworthy that like as as Jews, we don't even think that's that's actually the new year. We But we go back to Adam and Eve as the new year. So let's not get into that. Totally agree. I mean, like we are two live Jews here on the podcast. Uh, I always felt the same thing. It's like, wait a minute. Christmas, New Year's, uh, Christian calendar. Um, not what I learned in Hebrew school, but you know what? We are Jew biased. That's true. I will say, though, as I've gotten older, I've started to appreciate the power of ritual, of having things on a calendar, of having annual events. Uh, and so I do think that there's something nice that people are like sort of cleansing the palate of the past year and especially this year and starting a new year. And, you know, that there's something healthy about like, hey, this is a a night that we've all decided will be a joyous celebration in theory, even though I would rather stay home and avoid the hurling masses that are typically out and about in New York City. Yeah. You know, um, the behavioral economists call this um, a nudge. 
I think we have, this is kind of a perennial nudge for people to kind of like say, hey, wait a minute, pay attention to your point, cleanse the palate, uh, look at the things that you may have missed on in the previous year, uh, and look forward to what you really want to envision for the, the upcoming year. Uh, it's something for me that I like to do on a regular basis um, throughout the year, although I suppose that having some goals uh, and also, they say that if you write down your goals and you check in with them semi-regularly, you are more likely to achieve those goals uh, as opposed to what I think New Year's resolutions, they're kind of like the the superficial goal list. Let's just play sort of a back and forth here. Top three New Year's resolutions you imagine that Americans make? Well, one thing I have definitely noticed as a lifelong going to the gym guy is the influx of people in the first like three weeks of January where all of a sudden I can't get, there's no elliptical that's open at the gym. Every, everything's crowded. I'm like, you guys are all going to be gone in like six weeks. So I'm, I'm putting exercise more as, as probably the top one. Uh, and then you probably have like, I don't know if we put this under the same umbrella, lose weight or eating better or something like that. And those are the two obvious ones. I guess maybe like people want to quit smoking or, you know, I, I, I go with the cliche subjects here, which is, you know, maybe maybe on point or not. Well, if we were playing for money, you would have won the first bet, which is uh, exercise more. So over 50 percent of people, uh, Americans specifically, who uh, create New Year's resolutions, they want to exercise more. You got to think about when New Year's Eve is right after Thanksgiving and Christmas and so many people have been eating and gorging and, and filling up. So I think that ties in with it too. If you've just had this sort of uh, period of gluttony right beforehand. No doubt. I was surprised by the second one, although it does make sense because in a moment I will reveal the stat on your second one, which was to lose weight. The second one most frequent made resolution is to save money. Very mm. close behind exercise more. So exercise more, 50% of the people uh, have that as a resolution and saving money, 49% of the people apparently have that as a resolution. So, you know, a couple practical things, get in shape and uh, save a little money so you could actually afford that gym membership that you actually weren't paying for the previous year. Yeah. It sounds like everything that Americans don't do. <laughs> exactly. And here's that third one which is tied into the fourth one, but the, that Americans generally don't do, at least the third who are apparently overweight, is to eat more healthy. 43% of the people make that resolution. So eat more healthy, exercise more, save money. So I'm just not quite sure how the save money is sandwiched in between the two of those, but uh, I guess everyone wants a little bit more money. Yeah, it's also one of those things that's easy to say. It's so much harder to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to save money. Sure. Why wouldn't I? And the good news is that in 2020, there's like a billion apps for that, you know, saving money. Um, one of which, by the way, is my favorite, Acorns. Love that app. Mm -hmm. Rounding up. Totally beautiful. Use it for your travel fund, et cetera. So the fourth one at 37% of all people who make resolutions, make this resolution, is lose weight. And um, of course, that does seem like an obvious one, uh, obviously tied into eating more healthy and exercising. But I'm curious about the fifth one because I'm not quite sure. Seems a bit abstract to me. Uh, I know it's something that people work on regularly and they do it with now apps like Calm and Headspace. But 34% of the people who make resolutions make the resolution to reduce stress. Interesting. Reducing stress. That seems fairly abstract. It does, right? My resolution is to reduce stress. Right. 
Okay. Yeah. I, I wish you luck with that. <laughs> exactly. And then down on the list, but still in the top 10, coming in at number eight, tied to reducing stress, is to focus on my spiritual growth. Yet another abstract resolution. Yeah. I'm not even sure what that means. Also, there's no uh, quit drinking on here. I feel like New Year's Eve is all about drinking. Maybe it's just a bad fit. Yeah. So just to give you the top 10, and then we'll talk about like how to really perhaps stick to some of these resolutions if you're going to uh, make them. So exercise more, number one, save money, follows that, eat more healthy, lose weight, reduce stress, get more sleep. That's an important one, health-related. Uh, stick to a budget tied to number two, uh, focus on my spiritual growth that comes in at number eight. And number nine is to travel more. And number 10 is to learn a new skill. 25% of the people actually say they want to learn a new skill and travel more who make resolutions. So, you know, the thing about resolutions is, uh, and if you look at sort of psychologists and therapists who help people move through resolutions is to be hyper specific. The more specific you are, uh, the better chance you have at completing on your resolution. The other thing is, generally speaking, people tend to pile up on the resolutions. Like they'll have a friggin' list of 30 resolutions. Like really- it's like do- a resolution buffet right, or something. Right, total resolution buffet. That's right. It's like resolutions are cheap. See, this is the other thing, is like there's no- like there's there, there's no incentive or punitive consequence to creating a resolution. You want to create a resolution, write them down, put it on a post-it note, send yourself a you know an email, a reminder, whatever. But for the most part, people fall off, especially that number one exercise more. Gyms will tell you by the middle of February, all those new signups, which these gyms obviously depend on. Um, in pre-COVID times, uh, they are not showing up, those people who signed up on January 1st. Well, because it goes back to sustainability and practice. I mean, I feel like so much of what we talk about on this show does. Of It's not like, oh, on this date in the future, I'm going to do this thing, and then for three months, I'll nail it, and then I'll be done. It's such like a bullshit way to think about all this stuff. It's really like, what are you able to do on a regular basis for the rest of your life? And what is actually sustainable? And and I, I'm not a big write down your goals guy and stuff like that. I tend to think like if you need to write it down, then it wasn't that important. Like you'll know it'll keep coming back organically. But I get that every every self help person ever says write down your goals and it works for people. So so go for it. But like for me, it's almost like this dieting thing of like oh I'm going to do this diet starting next week and for two months and then I'll lose ten pounds and then I'll be done. I'm just like well good luck with that. But I really think what you need to do is figure out what you're going to be able to sustain for the rest of your life. Because otherwise, you're just going to go back to the exact way you were before. That's exactly right. And that is the sage advice that uh, most uh, professionals who help people stick to their resolutions would say. I like this one. This one brought a chuckle and a smile to my face. I thought it was hyper-specific, and I thought it sort of fits really nicely into the hell and wellness uh, domain and framework. So uh, Megan on Twitter last year uh, said that her resolution for uh, 2020 was to do so much yoga that my friends start to hate me for it. I really like that. I think her resolution is she needs new friends. 
well, I will say this also. One thing I read when uh, looking at all this New Year's resolution stuff is that a lot of times they'll advise like you should tell other people about your resolutions, that that's a good way to keep yourself like in check. Like if you mention it to all your friends and family. And I get that that can be an effective thing for the person who's trying to achieve these resolutions. Can I just say as someone who's been on the receiving end? of people telling you about their resolutions, how annoying it is that you're you're bringing me into this bullshit notion that you're going to quit drinking when we all know you're going to be doing five shots before January 20th. Like, come on, you know, like I always feel like uh, like I'm being asked to participate in some charade. Like, oh, yeah, sure. You're going to lose 10 pounds in a month. Can't wait to see that. Why are you dumping this on me? Like, like I've been made responsible for your inability to keep promises to yourself. Well, then, Matt, remind me to never introduce you to a, a friend who will go unnamed who has rounded up 10 of his friends and he sends them his daily goals and resolutions daily in an email in order to have them uh, force him to be accountable for them. Do you, do you want to get on that list? I mean, I kind of do just so I can make fun of it. It's uh, it's a fascinating thing. I can't bring myself to uh, asking him to take me off the list. So I see it comes in. It comes in at like 5.36 every morning. Anyway, New Year's resolutions. How are we feeling about this? I'm thinking for me, it's a semi-hell. I could see the benefit in resolutions. I for sure see the benefit in goals, that things that are very actionable. Resolutions as a whole in terms of how we actually look at it as a country and how we make them, a eh, bit of a hell. Yeah, I, I don't like how it's been packaged and sold to us and we're all supposed to do it at the same time and how no one really sticks to them. And it just seems a bit like a charade that's uh, not for people who are really setting out to make their lives healthier. So I'm going to go hell. with Mr. Aubrey Marcus and his lovely lady, Bailana, and hopefully we don't get robbed along the way. So we are listening to a clip of a couple of guys who just landed in Tulum, the apparent mecca of health and wellness. Uh, a lot of burners go down there. There was a big old uh, burner knockoff party down there in December this last month. Um, and uh, it was quite uh, quite the event. Matt, have you ever been to Tulum? I have been to Tulum a few times, and it is an interesting place. It's uh, you, you fly into Cancun, about a two-hour drive from there. I think uh, I, I went originally maybe like 10 years ago, and it's definitely had this uh, crazy development since then where it was definitely uh, more isolated and off the beaten path 10 years ago. And now it's, yeah, uh, a lot of New Yorkers there, a lot of like Burning Man people. There's definitely like... Uh, you know, this sort of yoga and fitness and health uh, aspect to it and sort of uh, 
uh, gauze around the whole place. And then there's also like a lot of, you know, partying and being on the beach and DJs and stuff like that. I think especially at certain times of the year, there's like festivals down there. Uh, and it's a bit of a lawless environment because you're in Mexico. So anything goes. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting sort of uh, contrast of things. And definitely, yeah, it's sort of like Burning Man meets New York hipster meets, you know, some LA yoga people, but south of the border is how I would sum it up. All right, let's play a clip of uh, one of the guys who attended uh, the Tulum Festival. Oh, by the way, uh, he got COVID. It's as if the universe is continually telling you, you know, come this way, come this way. And I got that. I said, okay, yeah, let's do it. I'm going to Mexico. And I was nervous as hell. I was more nervous than anything. Like, it's just a good reminder because of how crazy things have been, how many amazing opportunities have been presented to me. Doing the things that make us nervous are like saying yes to the universe when we have the intuition that this is the direction I know I want to go. So that is my little reflection for future Max. Do the scary things. The universe has got your back. The universe has been showing off. That's all I got to say. Like craziness. But um, I'm going to finish this coffee. I'm going to go work out. And... Uh... Okay, let's, let's stop that there. So maybe because I'm a little bit older and wiser and there was a time where I almost in my um, sort of search for signs of happiness and spiritual life uh, would speak like this, but the universe is telling you what to do. No, some fucking producer of some festival and your buddies got together and said, have you heard about the Tulum festival? Let's go. And here it is. And here are the dates. It's not the friggin' universe. It's the friggin' event. Just you're, 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 you're mixing metaphors, spiritual metaphors, party metaphors. I don't know. I just think that like he needs to wake up to the fact that he wanted to go party with his friends in Tulum, looked like a good thing, and he basically shellacked the experience with this veneer of spirituality. Well, also, I wonder, is he like, yeah, the universe wanted me to get COVID? The, you know, like, the, is future Max happy about what past Max decided? You know, because it seems like maybe it didn't work out all that great for him. This guy wound up getting COVID, right? He did. Yeah, so I don't know what he thinks the universe is trying to do to him. It sounds like the universe is out to get him. <laughs> Maybe he should stop listening to the universe. Totally. And, you know, I am I am all for these health and wellness retreats, having done many of them in my lifetime, certainly ones that have great music and great DJs and lots of fun partying. But I, I, I'm always perplexed by the idea that what happens uh, at these festivals that are billed as wellness retreats end up devolving, my word, certainly, but devolving into uh, a drug-infested, party-infested, all-night, you know, eat in a really unhealthy way, don't get any sleep, uh, wake up on the other side of midnight, and your entire body, mind, and spirit are wrecked. Let's be honest, the, the party and the wellness don't really fit all that well together. You know, and and uh, but also when you get a bunch of people who love yoga and they're young and attractive and, you know, uh, liberated and don't pay attention to what the man tells them, I think inevitably it's going to turn into, you know, a little bit of a looser environment where partying happens. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky combination, you know, and, and I also think there's a lot of like marketing and PR 
you know, around that of like, well, that's, that's the good thing to put on Instagram. That's a good way to, to pitch it as, as a very healthy nutrition based organic yoga sort of thing. And then once you get there, it can be something else, but everyone can pretend that they're all part of something nourishing. Yes. In fact, it, it kind of ties into an episode we previously did on spiritual bypassing. Uh, I would say this is a four or five day spiritually bypassed retreat. Like I'm trying to understand it. You've been to Tulum and you've spent time at places like this. Uh, I've done some as well, but not specifically Tulum. Um, which part is spiritual? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I, can, I think you could argue that uh, going to a rave is a spiritual event. And so is it, if it's a rave on the beach, are people having a spiritual experience? Is Burning Man spiritual? Um, and I would argue, especially for young people, and we have, you know, this is a bigger topic, but people are completely detached from religion and religious gatherings. And I think a lot of times these EDM festivals or other things like that are sort of filling in that role for young people of like, oh, a, a gathering where people celebrate. And yeah, there could be like music and drugs involved, but there might also be like sort of uh, connecting to your friends and other people and, you know, losing yourself in the moment to the music and things that are healthy within uh, a capitalistic society that's constantly just preaching, uh, you know, going to work and making money and stuff like that. So I, I think there is some aspect of it that you could uh, label as being genuinely spiritual. And would but you say... There's pl- there's plenty of BS there too. Yeah. So, so l- let's talk about this, this, this festival for a moment that we just heard a clip from. Um, would you say that a... F- it was like an art art festival? What, what was yeah, it called? Yeah, it was called it's called Art With Me. It's a four-day festival that happened in Tulum uh, in December. Five-day, four-night journey to inspire change, they say. Nurture personal growth. Uh, akin to Burning Man on the Beach, boasting towering art installations, group meditations, and a whole lot of partying. So here's my question. Um, is there anything spiritual, woke, holistic, well about having one of these parties on the beach in the middle of the height of a global pandemic is that is that a spiritual thing like did i miss something there did i miss that part of the pandemic well tell me well, it's interesting because like the people who are the most annoyed about the restrictions within America are people who want to go to religious gatherings. You know, these they're furious that they can't go to church or, you know, the Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn can't have their 9000 person wedding with pulled it off in secret, actually. Um, and they would argue that they are doing something spiritual. So I, I guess uh, I'm answering your question with a question, which I understand is not ideal. But like if you're spreading COVID, does that automatically make something not spiritual in your opinion? So. I think that, in fact, it does because this is one of the issues around COVID for those that aren't interested in wearing masks or think COVID is a hoax or, you know, don't take particular precautions to think about their friends, families, neighborhoods and greater communities. So the issue is this. Uh, Those folks showed up on a beach in Tulum, Mexico, a couple hours outside of Cancun thinking this is totally social distance, although it wasn't. They were on top of themselves, each other having, you know, basically dance parties. Um, And then what they did is they all jumped onto a plane and all of those 
so-called COVID vectors spread out across the country, and they showed up in different parts. So it's hard to imagine that if you are conscious or spiritually connected to people that you wouldn't think about the consequences of your actions that are uh, entirely focused on forgetting about COVID and its precautions or safety measures or restrictions completely by partying on the beach in a Burning Man-like fashion. So, and I certainly see your point. Would you say the same thing to all those Hasidic Jews who went to that 10,000 person wedding or to the people in Texas who are insisting they be able to go to church services, you know, with hundreds of people at them. Do, do you also feel that they are completely disconnected from their spirituality in a similar way? I, I, I do in that, in the regard that at that particular moment in time, there was a bit of religious sort of selfishness that basically said, we don't give a shit about anything because the thing we give a shit mostly about is our belief in XYZ, God, Jesus, Buddha, Burning Man, whatever. But the 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 sort of the the insularness of those groups tend to only think about themselves and shelter them from other human beings. But global pandemics and COVID coronaviruses in particular do not care about your particular bubble or your particular sect. To me, it brings to mind early on in the pandemic where you had uh, sort of, I, I remember the pool party in the Lake of the Ozarks happening at the same time as the Black Lives Matter protests. And there was a lot of shaming going on, of shaming of these people at the Ozarks party. Like, what are they thinking? They're awful. And then Black Lives Matter protests took off. And, you know, personally, I attended many and like people were like, well, how come that's fine though? And like, like, so I do think there's an interesting debate on is is there any reason to gather that is noble or purposeful or allowed or just any person who participates in some group gathering is immediately uh, being someone deserving of shame and, and disconnected from their spirituality? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough question and clearly one that is uh, solipsistic, religiously so, and maybe individually so uh, solipsistic. But, you know, one of the attendees... What does what solipsistic mean? Meaning just looking at the world only according to your view of the world, hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the attendees said, um, she said, I have nothing good to say about this event. Um, she was one of the several people who spoke... Uh, they spoke with in this particular article that contracted COVID-19 while attending art with me. She said they served food, all open barbecue, finger food. Everyone was grabbing with their hands. She said, all I will say is that there was not one mask and I got more sick than I ever did in my entire life after that party. So, but isn't she as guilty as anyone else? 100%. Like, why are we not mad at, okay. 100%. So. I'm just saying that she clearly didn't think about it either. Um, and I guess that if we are really being present and awake and woke in the world is apparently to uh, bypass all of the things that have anything to do with anyone outside of your collective sort of brainwashed philosophical grouping, sect, whatever you want to call it, religion, nobody else matters. Because if you and I are good with it, then that's all that matters. If, you know, we're going to have a 10,000 person Hasidic Jewish wedding, 
fuck that we live in Crown Heights, New York, and that there we're surrounded by other boroughs and neighborhoods. Well, with Tulum, I think you also have uh, youth is a big part of this, whereas, you know, it's mostly, I would say, overwhelmingly people under the age of 35 gathering there who, you know, I think a lot of young people feel like they're somewhat immune to COVID, you know, and that it's it's not really their problem. Like, yes, like people in nursing homes should be, you know, quarantined and people have underlying conditions. Yes, they should be safe. But like, we're we're young and healthy. We're 25. We can go party. I don't live with my mom or my grandpa. What's what's the big deal? If I get it, I'll, I'll just quarantine for two weeks and then I'll be fine. And that's sort of the attitude that people are having. That's right. But this also points to the fact that, you know, without getting too much into the sort of COVID diatribe, that... Uh, COVID doesn't care about that attitude. You are an asymptomatic vector into the rest of the society. And I didn't think that this segment on Tulum was going to be, uh, sort of point to sort of things that really kind of get me going, which is really this notion that society individualism has has just devolved and unraveled into this. I don't give a shit about anyone else. These are my rights, my liberties, my freedoms. The only way that we survive as a democracy, the only way that we actually have become a democracy and survived for 250, 60 years is because we actually think about each other. And we've now jumped the shark, so to speak. And now here we are faced with the most dangerous viral epidemic ever in all of our lifetimes. And we can't even get around the campfire together to sing Kumbaya, let's take care of each other. Part of the Tulum aesthetic is it's a little bit lawless, that there aren't rules. Like you go there and you're like, well, this is not America, very clearly when you're down there. And I think that's part of the appeal to a lot of the people who go to a place like that. But for the fact that just about everything in the world has been canceled, including people's bar mitzvahs and weddings and conferences and family gatherings, and yet one thinks that they could still uh, go forward with a uh, four or five day festival in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, like COVID cares about laws, that COVID is going to be like, oh, well, this is Mexico. I'm not going to go here. It's like, no, nah, it's not the way COVID works. Totally, totally. So, I mean, I think as we wrap up, like, it, it you know, when we talk about what we're rating, I, I, I think we're talking about this party, I think we're talking festival, we're talking about Tulum, but maybe on a bigger level, we're talking about this intersection of like the party people and the wellness people. And can, can, can those things sort of combine in a way that is healthy and positive and something to, that we should endorse? Or is it something, you know, terrible that, you know, is, is just sort of nonsense that we need to get rid of? And not to be the, 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 the Scrooge with all of this, but I am all for a great party. I'm all for beaches, I am beach parties, I'm all for wellness retreats, but I guess I'm not for uh, parties that cancel out wellness. And that's to me what Tulum often tends, and spirituality for that matter, that this is just because we're free and lawless in a sense, uh, and uh, you know, not having to abide by society's rules and we're in the moment, so to speak, um, that uh, we um, that that obviates the need to be conscious 
of other human beings and your own safety and wellness. And, you know, there's bigger issues here about Tulum, too. If you look at what's happened there in the past decade and how sort of like uh, Americans and capitalism has come in and sort of like exploited that environment and what's happened to the whole like sort of ecosystem down there and things. There's all kinds of uh, sort of nasty repercussions that have come from that. But um, to, to wrap it up, I guess, uh, if, if we're voting on uh, Tulum, uh, in my experience from having been there a couple of times, uh, I have enjoyed it. I think it's an enjoyable place to go. I think this idea that it's uh, some sort of uh, spiritual or uh, nutrition or yogi sort of centric place is a, a bit of nonsense. If you really want that sort of thing, you could go to a retreat somewhere where you're a little bit more isolated and not in such a uh, party environment. So I, I guess in ter- these terms, I'm going to go ahead and call Tulum hell. To me, it's a sort of a multi-part uh, answer. I think, uh, you know, Tulum as a place to party, uh, albeit not in a pandemic. Oh, well, great. Have a good time. Tulum in terms of spirituality and wellness when it's mixed with and professing uh, that this is a spiritual retreat or a wellness retreat, when it's mixed with lots of drugs and lots of things that do not promote individual or collective wellness, uh, then it would be an absolute hell. Thanks for listening to Hell and Wellness. I'm Rob Kramer. And I'm Matt Ruby. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can leave voice messages for us at anchor.fm slash Wellness. That's anchor.fm slash Wellness. You can also see all the shows there. And you can email us at hellandwellness at gmail.com. And if you remember, please uh, rate us and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Say something nice. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.